0: This is a public service announcement brought to you by Cardell Sims and the good folks at TMG Records. Check the forecast. I rain fact. That's true. Precipitation. Give them time back or use it to build patience. Either or try to maneuver above basics. so when you touch down you hover over complacent. Long story short, we made the time count Incarceration couldn't keep our minds timed out We just gave clout to the count times and grind it Made our re-entry a journey out of confinement What would be one word to the journey? of I love Enriching Unapologetic All right, man, we are back. Another episode of The Reentry Journey, where we highlight the journey of reentry for those who are leaving prison and just getting out of prison and on their way to success. I am your host, Cordell Sims, and tonight our guest is Mr. Tito Guerrero. I just want to, just before I bring uh, Tito to the floor, I just want to uh, share some things about his story and and his journey, and, and he will fill you in on this. But I want you to imagine getting sentenced to 15 years of life, you know, and you, you're doing your time, and in the middle of the time, you get the opportunity of, of getting your time back in court, which very seldom happens in a quick time. And you get there, and they offering you this deal, and you know it's going to give you a chance to get out, but it's some things that you just don't really want to negotiate. And then um, for those of us who've been through the system, you know, A lot of times our backbone and person that's there for us is our parents or our mother. And then your mother looks at you and she tells you, "No, take the deal because at least you'll get to see us alive. And man, um, hearing that and then, you know, everything goes through. He gets out. He got some one year, a three year, five year plan in a a specific field and area. And to be told that they don't really want him in the office because of his convictions, and to go back and who would know that it was was it the golf clubs in the trash, golf clubs in the trash would uh, would change a whole direction and, and lead to something great. So for all of you guys tuned in tonight, I appreciate it. I'd like to introduce our guest for tonight,
1: Mr. Tito Guerrero. Welcome to the reentry journey. Thank you, thank you, Cardell. I really, really appreciate it. And and before I say anything about myself, I want to say thank you for providing the platform and doing everything you do from the mentoring to the podcast to the just letting people know that there's light at the end of the tunnel. They just push through it. So I really appreciate you. Big ups to everything you do, brother. I appreciate. Oh, thank it. you. I appreciate you.
0: So so uh, let us know about. Um, <laughs> give us an introduction
1: on Tito, man. Let us know about Tito. Yeah, man. My name's Tito Guerrero. Um, You know, I I, I originally went to prison with a 15 to life for a second degree murder, but uh, it was technically my first time being convicted of of anything, right? And not to say that I wasn't in and out of the life and all that. So, you know, growing up, uh, unlike a lot of people that that are my good friends now that I was incarcerated with, I. To this day, man, I got both. My parents are still together 50 plus years. You know, I, I, I didn't have a broken home. We didn't always have everything, but we always had enough. You know what I mean? So right. I did it. I never had that plight in my life where like I had to turn to something or I felt like I had to turn to something. Ironically, I was kind of on the other end of it where it was more I was a straight A student up until uh, high school. And I felt like I didn't get any attention because it was just expected that I do good in school. So I got to high school and there were parties and there was, you know, the different social circles. And so I started saying, well, maybe I'll get attention if, you know, I I start screwing up a little bit. So my grades started to dip and all that. But I was still a good kid. You know what I mean? Uh, And I worked for my father. He had an automotive machine shop. He put me to work when I was eight years old. So I learned early on. If you want some, you got to work for it. You know what right. I mean? Like, I ain't gonna lie. I'm pretty sure there's a labor law against it, but I, he paid me twenty five cents an hour. You know, he oh. had you out there eight years old, eight years old, clocking in and out like I was like a coal miner or something. It was it was rough, but it, but at the same time, I'll I, I never uh, uh, say that it wasn't a good thing, right? But right. So when I turned 16, I went and did what most kids do. I was delivering pizzas and then, you know, I was cooking pizzas and I was doing all that kind of stuff. 18, I moved out. I was doing my own thing. And this is where learning to whatever I wanted to do, I had to work for it. Right. I was a kid that like even growing up in Berkeley, California, where, you know, back in the day, it was this was a one spot you, you smoke weed and it wasn't a big deal, right? And, and now it's legal in California. But, right. you know, I was against weed. I was like, no, it's a drug. Man. Dude, none of that stuff ever needs to be around me. So I ended up hurting my back working at UPS, slipped through this in my back. I couldn't pay my rent, couldn't pay my bills, and no way I was going to move back in with my parents. So, way back then, I knew people that had been to prison, people that were in the drug game, gun game, gang bang and all that stuff, because I went to school with all these individuals. And I I never burned any of those bridges, even though I wasn't in that life. Right. Right. I needed money. And I'm like, man, what what can I do? And they're like, you can take this. (laughs) You can take this and go sell this, man. You go bubble up real quick and so i started selling coke and i swear to god i sold coke for about two weeks and it scared the hell out of me because of how frequently people <laughs> were like man i I'd drop it off and i couldn't even make it back to my apartment they were calling me i need another one i'm like damn you know and it scared me seeing these fools right, right. so i was like man what what else you got because like that uh, that makes me nervous they're like well weed, like we people that buy off you this they, they just want to get high it's no big deal right so i started selling weed to the point where I had like back in the day, you know, there's, you know, back in the day it was bomb. Now there's 28 million strands you can get. It was like either an right. indoor or outdoor, right? It was like, <laughs> you had the Mexican <laughs> brick weed or you had some good weed. I had that good right. weed. And needless to say, my back started feeling better. I actually started working again, but I wasn't making so much money off weed. I let some dude move in with me just to sell weed while I was at work. Like, I was like, man, that's that's the bread and butter. Like, and needless to say, one of the big drug dealers in the area was trying to buy off me, but I knew he was trying to set me up. Next thing I know, two dudes come to the apartment with guns, pistol with me and my best friend, who was my roommate at the time, end up shooting bullet went off the back of my head into my best friend's mouth, took out two teeth, cut his tongue in half, took out another tooth and stopped over here. He lived, he's doing all right now and everything. But it's like, I was like, man, I need to stop. So I like kind of got away from all that. But at the same time, in my mind, I'm like, I need to find these fools that did that. That wasn't cool. Mm-hmm. So my head was all screwed up. I was driving around packing guns that I bought off some dude that came back from a, a desert storm. They 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 were selling the guns. I had connections for everything. So I had all these hot guns and stuff. I'm looking for these guys. I end up getting into school. I'm I'm, I'm doing I'm trying to get my life back on track, but I'm like the party guy. I, I'm hanging out with the drug dealers. And when I say drug dealers, I'm talking about dudes pushing kilos or more, you know, right. like and they were using my my house as their 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 hideout. They go with their girlfriends, leave their wife at home, and, and they're pulling up in big body businesses back in the day. And Like, here, dude, you can take the car. I'm like, hell yeah. So I'm cruising around acting like I'm a baller, when I'm just a, a regular working guy working for my dad running his machine shop. 72 cutlass on uh, Dayton's with 415s in the back. I'm like, yeah, I'll take that. You can use the house for hey, a day. You know, I'm hey, like, I'm living two hey, different lives. That's
0: the county, right? That's the, Cali, right? That's the hey. California area right there. You gotta have the 415s. Right, gotta have the 415s,
1: four 415, brother. Look, so so I'm doing all this and and I'm gonna fast forward real quick to in prison, right? Cause I heard this when I was in the pop program, prison outreach program, scared straight program, right? This, this old lifer, he said, he would say this to every group of kids that came in. He'd go, show me who your friends are, and I'll tell you who you are. And the first time I heard him say that, it hit me. Because back in the day, I'd always be like, I'm a square, man. I work. I'm not selling dope no more. I'm not hustling guns no more. I'm just me. Like, I own guns, but they're legal. Like, I'm legit. I pay taxes. Like, all this stuff, right? But if you were to look at the people I hung around with, it was inevitable that something was going to happen to me right right. because i'm just around that that's that's what's surrounding me right so i'm hanging around with all these fools i end up letting one of them rent a room in my house this fool's right. selling crystal out the house and i told him don't do anything in the house don't keep right. anything here don't sell it he's like yeah for sure one day he gets in a shootout in my house like literally he's shooting at people they shooting at him cops show up mind you i own guns they're checking my guns i'm like i was at work like, all this stuff and i'm thinking okay this is the point right this is the i need to like start cutting people off and i did i started cutting people off the individual that i ended up shooting and killing he's like my brother like my best friend like he he was a few years younger than me and like i used to take care of him when i was a little bit older and then we just always hung out he had keys to my house like and he would come and hang out too right he'd come take it at the house and the night everything happened um I'm at work and he comes by and he's like, Hey man, I want to hang out with some friends. And I'm like, man, you know, all the craziness they just had the shootout in the house. And he's like, man, we're just going to hang out in the house. It'll be cool. Like, all right, man, whatever, man. I'll, I'll, I'll be by there later. So I, I left work. We're all hanging out drinking and all this stuff. I'm paranoid because of the shootout. Like these dudes could come back. right? Right. So I get one of my guns and I'm literally sitting on my porch. Like it's a, one story up so I'm sitting on the stairs like if anyone comes I'm I'm security right they're going to party they're going to have their fun and so he comes out he's like dude what's up and I'm like man th- I'm, I'm just paranoid he's all well what can we do to make it better and I was like how about we all go inside and lock the door because y'all keep coming outside and like if everyone's inside maybe I'll be cool and he's like cool let's go and walking in and this is burned in my brain I don't think it'll ever go away but I'm walking in the door. There's a speaker facing the door. They got the music up. They're in there drinking and everything. They had some girls they were hanging out with, and so I'm taking the gun out of my pants, and I'm thinking I'm gonna go put it in the kitchen in the cabinet. And he's walking in, and he turns, and he's saying something to me, but I can't hear because of the music. And I go what? And he says it again. And I go what? And when I went like this with my hands, boom, gun goes oh. off, and then. It was it was just like slow motion. Like, I mean, literally everything stopped moving and I'm looking up at the ceiling going, I just put a hole in my ceiling. Damn it. And then I see him start to drop and I could see perfectly. I'm I'm telling you, it's in slow motion, uh, like a dime sized hole behind his ear. And I'm like, oh, crap. I just I shot him. So I fall to the floor. I grab him. Ironically, a cop's come around the corner right then. So he gets waved down. Next thing, I'm 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 down at the at the jail, and they're asking me all these questions. At first, it was just like we know it was an accident, you know, blah 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 blah. Hour later, you know, it's like good cop bad cop. They come in, they're like, "Well, you were mad at him, you were jealous of him, you were you were fighting with him." And I was like, "No, I, I wasn't. Like, we were just hanging out." And, and two and years like, later,
0: first time ever being in a in a situation as far as with the with the police and everything that you was well, going through at the
1: time. One well, one time, um, once again, all the people that I hung around with, um, I had some friends that had done the uh, rent a car and then reported stolen thing, and they were going to work a deal. Well, they never told me this, and I seen them with the rental car, and they're like, "If you want to borrow it, let us know." And I was like, "Yeah." And then one day, it's in my my backyard, and I'm like, "What's up with the car?" And they're Aww. like, "Man, go ahead, the keys are in it." Yeah, and I got. I ended up doing three days, <laughs> almost three days, because you know, three days they got to take you to to, to court, right? So I did uh, almost three days in the Oakland City jail. uh, And then they kicked me loose because they were like, yeah, everything panned out, you know, that your friend rented it. Everything you said, I was like, you guys could have checked that the first day. But that was an interesting experience. Uh, And I'm going to tell a quick story just because they have me in this little holding tank. And I remember I put my jacket up on one of the beds and I went to use the phone when I came back. This brother had taken my jacket down, put it down. This dude was huge. He was just a monster. He was huge. And I remember going, I'm about to get my ass whooped, but I can't be no punk. And so I went over. I was like, hey, man, why you move my jacket? And he jumped off the bed, and he was still like a foot taller than me. I was just like, ah, damn. And only because I stood up to him, he was like, oh, that was your bed? That's your jacket? I was like, yeah, man. And he's like, all right. He's like, what's your name? And I was like, Tito. And he turned around and everyone was scared to death of this dude. He's like, me and Tito running this shit. Y'all do whatever the hell we say. And I was like, "Uh, yeah, okay, cool. (laughs) So my three days were golden. Like, when we got to the dorm, he was like, what bed you want, dog? I was like, yeah, that one. He's like, hey, that's our bed. Y'all don't. I was like, all right. All because I stood up for them. You know, so uh, okay. I, that was my little taste before yeah. before this before one. This but yeah. That, yeah
0: I, so I, so with, with that being said, what are the feelings that you're feeling going through, through this? I mean, you really at the beginning, it, as where we had the story, you really at the beginning of what's going to be a, a, a crazy process. So what was that feeling like right it, there at the beginning?
1: It, it was, I'm sure for me, it was a lot different than a lot of people because, you know, it it wasn't something I meant to do. And it was my best friend, you know, basically. So I'm more sitting in, in that, in that city jail. So just like, like, what the hell did I do? What happened? Right. And I'm thinking 20 reasons why it wasn't my fault. Right. Uh, I'm totally like, you know, I would never do that to him. So what am I even doing here? And then it's like, you know, no one talking to me and not knowing what was going to happen. And I went to court the first day and it was like, literally one of my exes, I don't even know how she knew I was there. A dude that I went to high school with that had been through San Quentin once for, for shooting someone. And then my parents, they were the only four people in there. And I was just like, wow, this is, this is who's there for me. Right. And, and I'm like, this is, this is it. Like I'm, I'm through. And Yeah. yeah, it, it, it was, I don't know, was, when you talk about that avalanche of emotions and stuff, I, I just wanted to die, man. I didn't, I didn't want to be around, because I felt like I can't fix it. It's not like I can repay that, you know? And, right. and I can't bring them back, and I was like, I, I don't even want to be alive. I was on a suicide watch when I first got to the county jail for a minute. Uh, it, it was just, it, it was it, it was rough, and even to this day, I mean, I'll, I'll have my days, you know, it happened March 18th, 1997, and and—and what I what what what's weird is you know everyone's always like hey it's st patrick's day let's go hang on. I'm like yeah it's not a good time for me like right. yeah. <laughs> and, and i'm part irish i still don't like i'm not nah
0: and so so you dealing with not only the the issue um that you you have to go through this discord system and these these, these charges and these, these you're still trying to deal with the fact that man i just lost a best friend like,
1: and, and it was and it was at my hand you know right yeah. Yeah. Mm. It, it was rough and yeah, not knowing um like how everything works, you know, we, we see stuff on TV all the time. It's like, oh, you could kill 20 people and five minutes later, you back on the street. Cause that's what happened in the movie. <laughs> right. right? right. It, it ain't like that. It, it ain't like that. And then like. By all intents, you look at me, you're like, oh, there's some white dude in this. Like, oh, wait, no, Tito girl. Oh, no, you are a minority, just like everyone else. Let us throw you in this bucket and you're a northerner. You're this because of your last name and all of where you grew up. And it's like, no, that's not who I am. Like, don't let that doesn't define me. But yeah, it it, it was it was rough. And then getting to to a county. um, Yeah, it, it was just seeing. Something else that I wasn't used to, you know, the the segregation of it all, like gangs and stuff I knew, but the segregation and then playing those kind of politics. That was a totally new thing for me. Um, And yeah, it, it was something. You know coming in with a, a a murder charge you know and it's like they're they're housing you in the max side because you know yeah. you got a murder you know so it's it's dealing with all of that and then that that's a whole nother emotion of you know people looking at you like oh yeah you, you you're probably never going home again it's like, yeah damn okay you know thanks thanks for the vote of confidence you know um but yeah it it, it was rough mm. so
0: so talk more about the the process of the leading up to you getting sentenced and going. department of corrections
1: yeah so i I did just 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 that two years in county fighting my case so once again a lot of people have that misinterpretation that you know speedy trial you got 90 days and you're going (laughs) out the reality is your 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 is going to be like wave time as long as you can i knew dudes that did nine years in county jail because they Mm -hmm. were fighting a capital murder or whatever and they were like man it's better for me to stay here as long as i can you know and i'm like right nope. And for me, it was just a lot of back and forth and, and, you know, depositions or having to interview everyone. And then you get the paperwork and you might, if you back in the day, they'd give you a Walkman, you could listen to the tapes and everything. And it, it was just crazy. And then getting moved around different buildings and, and people coming and taking your property. And then, I mean, I started falling into the same traps that literally ended me up there. Like, Someone taught me how to make pruno, you know, and I like to drink when I was out. So I was like, oh, yeah, oh, this ain't so hard. And I became a trustee. So now I got access to everything. So mm-hmm. I had my legal boxes that had a fake inside where I could make a few gallons of wine. And I was making wine all the time. And and like I was running stores. So, you know, doing two for ones, three for ones. If we were close to canteen, like I was hustling while I was in there. And it really wasn't until way later in prison that i realized i was like damn i was i was keeping that mindset that landed me there going any which way i could playing people off of each other as far as you know oh you can't go and interact with these people because you're this gang and you're that i can i just want my 20 percent off the top and you know I, i was mixing and mingling like that so and then being that you know i'd get put in a pod where I was the only one fighting a murder beef so I'd run the pod like it's my pot. like y'all can watch what I want to watch on TV and this is what we're going to do and this is just how it is and at the time it seemed right you know and don't get me wrong would I do too much different probably a little bit different but I would be doing it for different reasons you know and right. I think that's where where when when you talk about individuals coming out institutionalized it's because when they were inside they were somebody they get out here and they feel like they ain't nobody might as well do something stupid and go back where where I got a rep. People are going to treat me differently because out here they don't treat me right. So, yeah, for me, it was really doing everything I could to, to kind of get by. But right around that one and a half year mark, I was telling my attorney, I'm like, I'm, I'm kind of tired of this, man. Like, I have seen people come in four times mm-hmm. and they go right. on home and, and like, if mm-hmm. I'm going to go away forever, like, let me go. Because everything I hear about prison is way better than here. So I'm right. right. You know, uh, I'm like, let's roll the dice and go. So, yeah, it was right around a year and a half. We started really like, okay, it's time to set a date. And we did. And trial only lasted a few weeks. Um, But my trial even had weird stuff. There was to me, the stuff that I thought was going to get me back on appeal didn't. Like they had, you know, they had totally screwed up evidence and stuff and admitted it on the stand. And I'm like, well, there goes my appeal right there. They said they lost fingerprints and all kinds of stuff. But the one thing that that actually was in the newspaper about my trial was the jury came back hung and the judge told the jury, basically, uh, you have to come back. It is your job to come back with a verdict. You can't come back Mm. hung. And so he reopened closing arguments so that the attorneys oh, wow. could argue it out. Yeah. And so it was in the paper like, first time in over 30 years, a judge has reopened closing arguments. They no, reopened crazy. closing arguments, gave them, I think, like five minutes each. And I barely made it upstairs and was about to pull my little bologna sandwich out. And they were like, hey, they're ready for you. And I was like, I'm guilty. And they, oh, and yeah, the, you already. And, <laughs> and the, and the yeah. sheriff's like, no, nah, man, you don't know that. I'm like, that was way too quick. Way too fast. Like, there's no way. There's no way. And sure enough, I went down there. They're like, guilty of second-degree murder. And I will never forget this. When they walked me up the stairs, I wasn't crying, but I was about to. Right? Because I'm just like, that's 15 to life. Like, that's a wrap. Yeah. And I got up the stairs, and there's a little Asian homie in the tank. And he's like, what's up, man? What's up, man? What happened? And I was like, man, I got second-degree murder. Man, I'm going to get 15 to life. And he's just like, this goofy little dude all tatted up. He's like, he's like, oh man, don't even trip. That ain't nothing. And I'm like, what? <laughs> what? I'm like, right? I'm like, what do you mean? That 15 of life, that what do you mean? And he's like, dude, man, I got like 10 of those already. Man, that ain't nothing. Don't trip. And so we keep walking down and I, I look at the deputy and I go, hey man, he's all he's serious. He's already been found guilty of murder in five states, and he's got to go to six more after this trial. And I'm like, damn. So he like went across the country on a killing spree. And I was just like, really? right then and there, I said it could be worse. And that part of it kind of leveled off. I was like, I, let me focus on what what's ahead, not what just happened. So right. that that was kind of my thing going through trial and everything. Mm.
0: So you told yourself, but let's focus on let's focus on the head. So how did you begin
1: to start focusing on the head, uh, focusing ahead? So so once again, uh, I've been getting gamed up by a lot of people in and out especially the the old timers that have been going to prison like since the 70s and stuff and and in in california you know we have basically black white uh mexican national north and south mexican and then you got amis which is you know native americans and you got others so i was an other because i'm peruvian and white and i wasn't about to go white so i landed on the latino you know pacific islander side which was a godsend for me because that's exactly who I hang out with out here. So right. it was just like a good mix. Like I already had tons of Chinese, Vietnamese and Samoan friends. So it just, it, it worked out, but my, my getting prepped to go in was fine. But once again, my mind was still set up. Like, like I was trying to be who I was before, you know? Mm-hmm. So I got to prison and even with the life sentence, it was like, okay, what's the hustle? What, what can I do? What, you know, who do I need to know and what are the things I need to do? And, and so I hit San Quentin. They put me down as a Northern Mexican when I got there. And so actually one of the Samoan homies who was a shot caller there, he literally went to the cops and was like, you need to switch him now. Otherwise we're going to have a problem. And they, like, they moved me immediately. He had pool there. Matter of fact, he married a Sergeant. Yeah. He, 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 he was yeah, doing some things, cool. yeah. uh, but, um, but yeah so they started gaming me up there i was looking out for the the homies that sat there they pulled me out i was running stuff back and forth for everyone i get sent out to backville uh solano state prison and that's literally where i did all my time um but i get out there and um the 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 uso and quentin was like when you get there go talk to this guy tell him this they're gonna know you're good and i'm like all right and that's exactly what i did and hit my lap and they ran down the yard where everything was, what we did, what we didn't do, you know, how we associated with everyone, put me up on all the game. And then it was like I started listening to good people, good homies to this day, right? But um, they had the wrong mindset and they were the lifers because I got put into all lifer building, you know, so, you know, mm-hmm. we, we all together. But they were the lifers that were like against the system. So they're like, right? And you don't want to go work for them on that hill making. They're making money off you. You know, it was like everything was just negative. You want to go get a kitchen job so you could eat all day, and you want to. You know, it was like always on the hustle, like making money, get over on the system versus better yourself, right? Yeah. And and that bled into, and I hate to say it, like I was going to NAAA because as a lifer, you want to get all those chronos and stuff, right? Mm. And because I had that mindset, listening to everyone, I'll never forget when I was supposed to get my first little chip from uh my month or whatever they didn't give it to me and i was like man i ain't coming back and i never went back and thank thank god the life sentence got overturned because otherwise it would have bit me in the butt later on but yeah i was like i'm not going no more and so i got a job as a as a clerk for the mac the men's advisory council and um that got me noticed as being very good with uh typing and putting formal documents together and uh, one of the homies uh he was a housing clerk and so they they had a captain's clerk job open up and he was like dude that's a good job like i'm gonna get you in for an interview and i'm like interview are we on the streets like i gotta go interview yeah. No, nah, people, in. people, they-
0: people don't know you really do have the uh interview for the, uh, them job positions certain ones inside of prison, but like oh. the kitchen or something like that, they just throw you in there. But like the other ones you, like you talking about, it's a real life interview. You got to do yeah. for it. <laughs> yeah.
1: They made me do a typing test. They asked me a bunch of questions. I was like, man, I don't have any degrees, but I went to college and they're like, oh, okay. And, and I'll never forget. It came down to, um, I got the job and, you know, so basically the, the CEOs would write people up and stuff and then I'd have to type it. And mm-hmm. so me being me, I'm like, these dudes is half illiterate. I'm typing it verbatim. Like, I ain't correcting anything. I'm like, boop. And the lieutenant comes in. And he goes, hey, man, let me, let me talk to you in my office real quick. I'm like, yeah, what's up, LT? And he's like, um, what's up with these write-ups? Man, they're gibberish. And I go, well, you need to talk to your cops because they, they, like, act like they're in fifth grade or something. And he's like, you get paid to clean it up. And I was like, no, I don't. I get paid to type. And I'm typing them exactly how they're written. And he goes, come on, man work with me and I go work with you what like I'm doing my job I'm I'm getting my 32 cents an hour you getting that out of me you got that right and he's like look you know we throw a uh, uh, banquet in here every other week I go yeah and he goes and you know he started listening all this stuff he's like you get to clean all that stuff up oh, I just yeah. asked that you clean <laughs> this up right and I said with "Look, the, with the banquet food right and I'm like look man I'll, I'll make it grammatically correct, but I'm not going to alter what's written. And he's like, I'm good with that. And I'm like, okay. So I just started correcting the spelling and, and putting the periods and the quotations where they need to go. Wow. I'm like, here you go. I ain't going to lie. They, they took care of me. Not to mention he knew I was printing TV guys and selling them on the yard and <laughs> all my other yeah. stuff. Yeah. They also, and I don't want to say too much, but they were also letting me get a hold of stuff I wasn't supposed to that I'm sure they benefited from too. But yeah, I, I always tell people when you're in those positions, it, it's, you got to have that balance, right? Because you got your shot callers on the yard that want to know when someone gets locked up and if they're in the office talking and all that. And then there's confidential paperwork that if you can get a hold of, you need to take it out. And I, I had my systems. I would, you know, you know, you go to the bathroom on the yard, someone got a standpoint while you take your piss or whatever. Yeah. Well, I'd be there with a the shot caller, like read this and when you're done put it in the toilet, flush it. They'd be like, all right. And fools were giving me cases of sodas every month for just making sure that they were in the know of what was going on. And I'm like, it's it's a scratch your back. I scratch, you know, I'll take care of you. You take care of me. But it it was cool that, you know, the main thing I I would say I was doing that was really quote unquote bad was the guys that were going to the hole, like, I'd run the kites out, run them back in every once in a while, it'd be dope or tobacco I'd bring in so they could take it to the hole with them. But yeah, for the most part, I stayed away from stuff. But that job afforded me opportunities uh, that that, uh, ended up getting me in the hole later, but um, developing relationships with people that were very beneficial. I, I they you know back in the day I know it's not around anymore but they called me Circuit City I was one of the first people caught with a cell phone in California prison and back in 2002 and yeah it was a escape paraphernalia back then now it's slap on the wrist because everyone has them but wow. yeah back then um yeah I I I was able to develop relationships and probably the worst thing they could have ever done was put me in the hole for six months and then release me back to the yard because everyone and anyone who wanted to deal with that kind of stuff they knew i didn't tell so i had COs and everyone else coming to me like hey you need anything let me know and i'm like "Uh, is this a setup like what's going on but it it just it became too easy after that but yeah it's 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 a trip because we worked in that program office and you had one yard and two yard and the the office was just a line that went through both so you had your lieutenants and captains on each yard but the inmates could go back and forth, right? And we technically weren't supposed to, but you always have to go down and check in and because someone's moving from one yard to the other. So yeah. if there was a, a lockdown that we knew was coming because we're in the program office, oh, we know they're going to start on two yard. Everyone that got DVD players and stuff, we grab them from two yard, I take them back to my yard. As soon as they get done with the search, I bring them back in the office and they take all of our stuff over there. And so we, right. we would maneuver contraband back and forth like it was... Toys or something. It was just, it was it was crazy. Like I swear to God, if they had like like a reality show where they followed us around with cameras, it, people would be amazed at the stuff we got away with. <laughs> but, yeah, and, but once again, that was that was definitely the same way I was outside. Now, once again, if I went back to prison today for something, God forbid, yeah, I'd probably jump right back into that stuff. But I never liked um, people trying to get me to bring dope in, and I'm like, uh, I'm not doing it. You need a phone, I'll get you a phone because you know that it's a phone. Like, you want a DVD player, you want to watch a movie, I'll get you there. You want an iPod, I'll get you that. I ain't trying to mess with no dope tobacco. I was bringing that in, but just because it oh, made a so ton of money in,
0: back in y'all day. See, in Missouri, when I first started doing prison times, they do they would selling you, you could buy tobacco and stuff off off canteen.
1: When I first got there, you could. It was, I think, two, two and a half years in that the California started phasing it out. Yeah.
0: I think they might have been one of the first states to uh, phase it out, uh, California. Because I can, I remember back in the day being in Missouri that, you know, you hear stuff from other states and prisons and what they got going on. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, they just took, they just took the, uh, <laughs> the rest of stuff out of California. prisons. you know, they're going to be getting y'all next. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so when, you start, when did the mindset shift start to
1: uh, – take place. So so yeah, so like I said I, I I was I was doing my stuff and so basically while I was still level 3 I was still on the max side um about 5 years into it um is when I went out to court, right? So I go out to court um I hated it by the way cuz I was state so I had to go to a state pod which was all violators. So, you know, mm. the maximum amount of time a violator is doing is a year. Yeah, they're yeah. all in there crying like they got life sentences. And I'm like, if y'all don't shut the hell up, I'm going I'm to kill someone up in yeah. here because I got life right now. And y'all is not making my life any better with your little baby crying about two months here and there. Right. right. So I hated it. And I'm there seven months. And they got me going to court twice a week. And, you know, going yeah. to court sucks. you gone all day. and You yeah, know, you gotta sit
0: there waiting everybody get done. Yeah. So. <laughs>
1: It is literally torture. I'm like, man, give my life sentence back. I just want to go back to prison. I'm like, this sucks. And I'm going back and forth, back and forth. And that's when, you know, what you brought up happened. Because they, they told me they were going to take me back to trial and I could get 25 to life. Because they were hung on the gun enhancement, so they threw it out. But mm-hmm. if I do a new trial, they can reinstate it. That's what they were trying to tell me. And I was like, it's double oh. jeopardy. It's against the law, but whatever. So then I told right. them I was going to bail out. And they were like, you can't bail. And you know, I went to, I finally went to a law library. <laughs> I got this big old <laughs> book. I'm like, it says right here, if your sentence gets overturned, you have, it's mandatory. It's not an option. They have to, they can make it a ton of money. I was like, my parents got some properties and stuff like I'll bail out and I'll fight this for the next six years. I'll have a family by the time we get back. Right. Right. So they go 14 years and that was four years for involuntary manslaughter maximum and the max on the gun, which was 10 years. So they go 14 years and I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, why should I take the maximum? I've never been in trouble before. Like, that's what you give the person that's been in and, and been in and out. Yeah, like, I, I don't have now, a record. Right. So I'm back and forth, back and forth. And they're like, nope, 14, no 14, no 14. And they, the DA finally tells my attorney, he's like, the victim's family doesn't understand that 14 and 15 to life is a bigger difference than a year. Like, so they're, they're not that they're okay with it, but they feel better about that than, you know, something else. And I'm like, Right. In my mind, I'm, I'm being now. I feel stupid, but at the time, I'm like, "But that's bull. It's law. Like that's for your your guy who screwed up before. I haven't right. Right. So once again, back and forth. And then I'm I'm talking to my parents. I'm on the wall phone, and I'm like, "Hey, mom, you know, blah, blah blah." And my dad's in the background. I'll put the house up. I'll do whatever. Like we'll get you a better attorney. We'll do whatever, right? And I'm like, "No, I don't want you to do all that." And then my mom says. Well, I want you to take it. I go, well, why why do you want me to take it? She goes, at least we'll still be alive when we get out like this. I mean, you're right. And how that man that Um, I'm I'm telling you, it was like a ton of bricks just dropped on my shoulder. I was like, mm. I was like, hey, and and this is exactly what happened because I was going to court the next morning. I go, call up Michael. That was that was my turn. I was like, call Michael. Tell him I want the deal tomorrow. I never want to go to court again. Everything has to happen tomorrow, and they need to get rid of that restitution. Tell them, I will sign them all, no restitution, take that off because I'm tired of paying it, and I sign them all. And I just hung up. And I went in, and the DA came over and said, am I to understand correctly, I take the restitution off, you'll sign today. I was like, yeah, boom, here's the paperwork. And I will never forget this because when that judge, they have to read through it, blah, 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 blah. You agree. And you have to say yes, yes. All the way through all these 20 questions. Right. And there's a big old American flag behind the judge. And as he's reading and I'm standing at the little pew going, yes, yes. Every question I started feeling, I've never been on LSD, but I think that's how it feels. I was about to fall out. That flag (laughs) started mixing and everything got all hallucinogenic. And I was just like, Oh crap. And my attorney's like, you okay? And I was like, Is it almost done? Is it almost done? (laughs) He's like, yeah. He's got like two quick. I'm like, yes, yes. And like, I had to get up and get some water. I was like, man. But it still didn't feel real. It literally did not feel real until I was out the gates. Mm. I I didn't think I was ever going to make it. I just didn't. I I was like, something's going to happen.
0: You know? You just just felt like it.
1: You just had a feeling that something was going to happen. Like. Like whatever it may be. You know what I mean? Like there's right. a riot and I end up killing someone on the yard. Like yeah, I don't know. Get, like just because
0: people don't realize that um, even though that you get an out date and you get it, you know what I'm saying? You might get that out there to go home. You that don't mean necessarily that you're gonna make it out of there. Anything to exactly. go down prior Anything. to you walking out that door.
1: Yeah. And and the the thing that even made that harder was when I finally get back uh, back to Solano um there was this og uh, black dude who lived a couple of cells down from me cool dude always quiet kept to himself and i'd heard he was going home and so i just went by and be like hey man hey congrats good luck you know be safe out there he's like yeah man i should have been home a while ago but it's all good and i was like what what, what, what you mean man and he's like well i was supposed to go home seven years ago and i was like seven years you mind uh, you know mind me asking what happened he's like Man, my celly my, my got drunk and he tried to fight me, and it was after count. And like, I felt like I couldn't leave him alone and I killed him. Right. And I was like, What? And he's like, Yeah. And so when they finally came and saw, you know, they gave me a manslaughter for it. Mm. And I was like, No way. And he's like, He's like, I don't know if I do anything different because like he wanted to kill me. And I was, Right. You know, and he's like, but it was after count. The doors are locked till the the morning. Like, What am I going to do? And that made me go, damn, I still got seven years left. (laughs) Damn, what could happen in between now and then, right? So that just made me go into hyper mode. and, And I tell people this a lot. So I was at five years. At that point, I got right back into making wine, doing everything. Like I was drunk every other day like i'm still working in the program office and i was working in the kitchen that was the worst thing they could ever did they gave me a clerk job in the kitchen i had an office with stash boxes i had wine brewing everywhere and i had all the sugar and everything right there so and and it was just i was that guy you you need a phone you need a you need a dvd player or you want some really good wine come go see tito he's one like and I, i had so many cops that knew me from being in the program office like you know, you walk by and they're like, Yeah, you up this up, but I'm gonna just let you go. <laughs> you know, I and mean? yeah, it, it. I tell people a lot, we were in three building um, and not Goodfellas, but if you ever seen the movie Goodfellas, they doing the lobster and steak. We might not have had lobster and steak, we had everything else. Like, we were smoking in the building. We, I smoke cigars, right? We'd be smoking in the building, playing pinochle, drinking, and the cops knew it. They would get on the speaker and be like, Hey, Oh, sergeant's coming quick, put everything up, Shh, blow the little incense oil out. And, you know, we ran the building like straight up and down. We ran the building. This this, this chain right here, every one of my family got one that's got our names on the back. Both times I went to the whole, a CEO brought it to me after they took it from me. Like, hey, mm. sign for your property. I'm like, ooh, good looking out. Like, we ran that stuff. And I, right. I'm not trying to say that in a proud, boasting way, but it made their jobs way easier.
0: Like yeah, easier,
1: they'd be like, hey, hey, you know, Cardell, don't be shutting his door after count. Oh, don't trip. We'll go talk to him. Like, we'll run the building. You guys just kick back and get that check. Make sure you leave us the hell alone. You know, and and we had someone from each group, you know, and we just all get together and make sure everything was straight. If people wanted to fight, we make sure they do it out the way where, you know, they don't get the rest of us in trouble. That was just it. Uh, so that was good and bad. Right. Because that mindset wasn't where I needed to be. right? Yeah. All right. So I go to the hole for the phone and I'm there long enough, my points drop down. So now I release to the dorm living. So Uh now I'm on another yard um, and I get over there and it's like a bunch of the guys that were with me on the level three side, they're over there. So it's like a big old family. Matter of fact, I get released to four yard but so many of the homies are on three yard and one of them's a housing clerk they see my name pop up I got moved within an hour to the other yard so I could oh, be with everyone right. so right. I'm like right back at home with everybody and it was about two years I'm gonna say it's right around when I hit year seven that there was a click you know that I was working in the kitchen and I was hustling, you know, making food and I was making actually really good money hustling stuff out of that kitchen, more cooking it on the yard and then selling bowls and plates and stuff. But I was just grinding away. And then I finally was like, man, I I need like I'm going to go home in five years. Like I need to start thinking about what does that look like? Like how am I seven years in any better than I was when I came in? And I don't. I couldn't tell you, man, what what changed, you know, maybe I think a big piece of it was people on that side were going off to fire camps and stuff because they were running good programs and they were getting you know, sent off where they wanted to go. I saw people graduating, getting college degrees. And I'm like, why is my dumbass not doing something? Right? right. So a bunch of the guys were working in the prison industry authority um, lens lab. So that was my first step. Uh, I signed up. I got on the waiting list. I finally got a job up there. I got certified as an optician. It was like a real job. And I was like, all these years I've been dodging PIA. And it's literally the best job I've ever had. Like, screw the hustling. I actually feel like I'm at work. I got a clock in. I'm learning a skill. I'm providing the service. Like, I feel like a regular person, right? And I absolutely love that job, right? And so I'm up there. I'm learning. I got certified as a optician. got certified as a contact lens examiner, all this stuff. I was doing the quality control for, man, I got pictures of me up in the lab working the stuff because we had (laughs) cell phones out there. Um, But yeah, we were doing all this stuff and I'm like, damn, I've wasted seven years in here, like doing nothing, drinking and, you know, working out schemes versus working on me. Like, this is a scheme like i need to scheme on me right Right. so i started i i didn't care what religious group it was Uh, i did stuff with uh, muslims buddhists and of course there's a ton of christianity stuff right but every self-help group classes on meditation on parenting didn't even have kids i'm like man sign me up like i don't care anything (laughs) that's gonna make me a better person like i want to do it right and then people wouldn't talk You know, all these hardcore dudes, no one wants to get up and talk. So I'd be the guy, I'll talk. Like I don't really have nothing to talk about, but, you know, I'm going to get up here. And so I started developing all these relationships and I'm I'm seeing these dudes. Don't get me wrong. There was a good percentage. I'll say 20 to 30 percent were always like guys that were there just trying to, you know, get that piece of paper to put in their file. But most of the guys Mm. that were in there were really trying to do better, you know. Right. And I'm hearing these stories and stuff. And I'm like, man. And so I started going to school, doing correspondence courses. And yeah, so it was seven years in before my mind started changing at all. And then I got the last two years was strict. I'm talking about like disciplined. Like I had finally come to a place where I was like, if I don't have a very strict schedule, it ain't going to work. Like, just like they tell me if I want breakfast, I better get my butt up at six. I'm going to have my schedule, like their, their meal schedule. You know what I mean? Like, right. like just like they tell us, you miss, you ain't getting lunch. Cause you know, we pass yeah. out the bag lunch, you know? <laughs> so it's like, I was like, I gotta be that way with myself. I shouldn't need someone else to do it. Right. Mm. So it was get up early. And I said to this day, I, I, I say it's stupid, but it's not hell. I just started doing it again now. But, um, the last six months. I would look in that mirror, you know, you go in that little door bathroom, you spray it down with your bottle, clean that sink up and stuff, get all the nasty, you know, and I would out loud go, no one's going to tell you what you can or can't do. No one's going to tell you what you can. And I'd say it five times every morning. And people look at me at first like, what's this dude talking to himself? And then they just got used to it. They're like, oh, I was just Tito, right? right. <laughs> but I can't stress anyone who's listening, watching, I'm telling you right now, Positive affirmations, they can work. One, you got to believe in yourself. Two, you got to believe in what you're saying. But keep repeating it because, and I've heard you say this on some of your podcasts, right? Mm -hmm. It's like you can speak that stuff into existence. But I'm a firm believer you have to have faith, not belief. Faith like someone does in God, that no matter what, this is it, right? And when I got out, I had... My parents, who gave me a place to stay and everything, I had everyone telling me all the stuff I couldn't do. Every time i like, oh, I want to go to school and work. No, nah, that ain't going to work. No, nah, just work. Just work. Stop being stupid. And I'm like, what? So when I got my first degree out of prison, my bachelor's degree, when I got that original degree, mm-hmm. I went to my parents. And I was like, here. They opened it up. Oh, we're so proud of you. And I said, no, 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 no. That's yours. They're like, what do you mean? And I'm like, I don't even want that. That's mud in your face, and I want you to keep it until you die. You told me that I couldn't do it. And not only did I work full time and get that, I did that while I was driving truck. I did that while I was dealing with parole. I did that while I was dealing with y'all telling me I couldn't do it. Right. I was like, stop trying to tell me what I can't do and encourage me to do some of the things I need to do. But I'm... I'm, I'm I'm only saying that because I can't imagine if your self-esteem, if your drive is low, when you have people like that around, even your parents, your wife, your husband, whoever, like that kills all that momentum. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, it,
0: it's, a, it's a big killer. Um, that, that Like if you like you just said, if you don't have that confidence and you're getting out and the environment that you place in is just like you said, like people saying this is what you can't do. No, you can't do that. You know you're felon. you just got out. You can't do this. Don't even go over there because they can't, they can't. They can't do nothing for you. Yep. You know you'd be like, man, what? And if that's the case, then then what? What you know? If that's the case, I'm gonna just go back to what I to what I was doing.
1: Right. What well, what worked back in the day, right? You know, no, hundred hundred percent, man. And and that's where I was really pushing myself. So when I got out, I I knew. Much to what I was saying, you know, show me your friends and I'll tell you who you are, right? I allowed all those people back in the day to tell me what was right, what was wrong, what I should do, what I shouldn't do. So the reason I was telling myself that last six months, just over and over again, like no one's gonna tell me what I can and can't do. And then I turned it into when someone said I couldn't do something, I was like, Oh yeah, now now I want to do it, even if I didn't want to do it before, I just want to do it to prove you wrong. And I I'm trying to get my, my momentum back today. That I had back then, because those first five years out, I was killing it. Like, yeah, <laughs> like you—you you could not do anything to get me off track. I was like, Psh. like even when I fell, I it just, oh, now I got to get up twice as much. Like, I need to catch up and then re up and just keep pushing and. Right. Yeah. So I mean, and but I still had part of that uh, self-negative talk because, like, when I got out, I couldn't get a job. And uh, it was a recession, 2009, you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. and like, I had these jobs lined up as an optician, uh, Costco, Walmart, all these places were saying, we'll hire you. And then I get out there like, man, we just laid people off. And when we hire, we're bringing them back. And I was like, totally get that, you know, pushing, pushing. And people kept telling me to go to Goodwill, the parole office, go to Goodwill. I'm like, I'm not going to know. Stinky <laughs> clothes, Goodwill, it ain't happening. Right. After a few months and, and I get a call from this doctor in uh, San Francisco and she's like, Dr. Wong, I'll never forget her name. We had done phone interviews. I was telling her about her machines and how to run them and all that. And she's like, oh, you know, I'm like, yeah, I've been working in the lab for the last few years. Like, I know how to make glasses. I got you. Right. Somebody looked me up and she said, yeah, one of the doctors said that they don't want a convicted murderer in the office. And I was like, it, it got overturned though. Like she goes, yeah, we could see that. But like they're they're uncomfortable with you. And I was like, you know what? She's like, I'm so sorry. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I needed to hear this. And I literally went to Goodwill the next day. Like, I'm like, you know what? I need to stop being so proud (laughs) and just start working (laughs) so I can, you know, get the next job. And I started there as a truck driver, you know, and I hated it. it. It felt like prison. Everything was segregated. Like people were set tripping on each other, fighting, stabbing each other. It was at just at the, the, the goodwill. At the goodwill, I felt like I was not home y'all. I was like, man, what is this? And and it was in Oakland, and the majority oh, okay. of guys <laughs> on, on the back dock that they were all black. So I'm like the outsider. And I'm like, man, I need to figure something out because, like, I need equipment and stuff. And so I'll never forget, I went to the dollar store and I got a bunch of Gatorades and stuff. It was super high. And I come back, I'm like, hey, here y'all. And they're like, what's this for? And I go, man, y'all working hard, man. I'm just, just trying to trying to make your day easier because I wish someone would bring me one. All right, man, I'll, I'll see y'all later. When I came back, they had all this equipment for me. And someone was like, that's why you bought them stupid Gatorades. And I'm like, hey, some sometimes you got to, you know grease the wheel a little bit and and that that cost me like six bucks it ain't that big a deal because it's gonna help me and i'll buy it every once in a while but then i i started making some friends and stuff but i still hated the job and and you brought this up like there was one day some golf clubs i'm throwing them in the trash compactor this dude yells at me and to this day i cannot remember who it was i just remember it was a guy and he's like hey dude you, you gotta go take those down to the recycling bin and i'm like man, that's like 40 yards. away. I'm not trying to, you guys said, no, overtime, I got to get back on this road, you know? And he's like, Hey, hey, hey. I don't know what Goodwill's done for you, but you see that car in that parking lot? I'm like, yeah. He's like, yeah, Goodwill helped me get that car. You know what else Goodwill did? Helped me get off parole, probation. I got an apartment. I'm about to get custody of my kids back. And I don't know about your check, but when they pick up that dumpster, they give us five to 900 bucks and I'm gonna need you to go recycle them golf clubs. And I was like, well, well, damn, you know what? Let me go ahead and walk down here and recycle these golf clubs. I'm like, right. But then it made me look at everyone like these people are they're, we're the same. They might be different. They might talk different, but we all going through our own struggles and the common denominator here is goodwill is helping us out. So I fell in love with the mission. I could talk for two hours about everything that happened after that. But I mean, basically I kept bugging them that I wanted to do more and I went from truck driver and over the course of 10 plus years all the way up to vice president. So, um, got two degrees while i was doing it i got to when i got my mba i got to do the commencement speech which um yeah it was like 500 plus people there and i mean i basically told the story of hey i'm I'm an ex-con and you know i'm i'm out here trying trying to regain something that that you know i should have did a long time ago and there were so many people that came up and talked to me afterwards and i was just like Man, if only we had more platforms like this, that people knew that we we can do good, you know, we, mm-hmm. we can be better. And and you know, everyone that gets out of prison isn't just trying to go back, you know. Right. And a lot of times we just need that opportunity, right? We, we just need, need, need some positive support, right? So um yeah, but and then I got fired. <laughs> You know, I, I got fired. Like, And that was something that was hard for me to talk about for a while because I was like, that's that's such a negative thing, right? Right. Um, but at the same time, it took me a minute to grow from that because I got into the zone of I'm good. I'm right. I'm good. I'm right. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. I'm, I'm the guy people look up to. I'm the guy who solves problems. And I mean, even to this day, I'm always going to be a learner, right? But it was like I had to learn that. I saw things, you know. We I always tell people we have like a spidey sense or a prison sense. I like to call yeah. it like because we assess rooms that we're not familiar right. with, and you know, we're we're checking for exits and weapons and people, and you know, we're we're always looking at stuff. And I had assessed the situation, and I knew better, but I still went on bold, thinking like, "Hey, uh, I'm Tito, man." And so it was right. humbling, you know what I mean? It was humbling. So I wouldn't change how things happen, but you know, hey, they happen, but. Needless to say, I went Goodwill Oakland for seven and a half years. I had a consulting business for about a year, forward consulting. No excuses, only solutions. Um, I, I went on to Goodwill Houston. Uh, I worked out there for a couple of years and then Goodwill out in uh, Indiana. And um, it was a great run. You know, I'm in California right now, but potentially I can't can't talk about it right now, but potentially another move coming up, presumed. <laughs> so, you know, wow. but I've been I've been afforded a lot of things and I I, I just want to say this for anyone—not not not to say it's always the best route to go—but when I got let go, right, and I'm doing all these interviews, like I'm—I feel like, damn, I feel like I just got out of prison again. Like I'm having to explain like my past, and like you know, because with Goodwill, it's easy. It's like, hey, I'm I'm the mission, you know. So it's a selling point when you're talking to someone that ain't Goodwill. They're like, yeah, that ain't Goodwill. "What? (laughs) What you mean? Where were you before Goodwill? You know. So, but. It made me not want to talk about prison, not want to talk about getting fired, because I'm like, those are two negatives and they're going to be held against me. Right. And, and I'm looking in the camera right now. Anyone listening or watching and I need you to hear this. When we are authentic, one, we're going to find a better job because we're being real, not only with ourselves, but with them. And two, we're going to figure out if it's really the right job for us. Right. And when I say that, when I switch my narrative to, hey, i um, Things didn't work out at Goodwill, technically I got let go. Here's what I learned from that experience. Oh, I didn't end up at Goodwill out of desire. It was out of necessity because I was in long-term incarceration, I couldn't get a job. And I just started leading with that, like just boom, here's your punch right in the face before we even get started. Before we even get started. And then it turned into this, wow, what a story, tell us more. And I was like, holy crap, I could have been doing this Five, six months ago and probably been in a job already. So it's crazy how just being real and not not, you know, because I don't know about you and, and I know probably plenty of people have heard this. Like people tell us, like, oh well, you know, tell them that like for me it was tell them you worked in an optical lab, just not in prison. You worked in an optical lab. Yeah, and so a, I used to do yeah. that, you know? <laughs> yeah, they,
0: they yeah, they tell you that. And and you know, one thing I learned um about that is um they used to feed me that and then I used that one time with a company and they didn't hire me because they figured they figured out the job. It was a, a table like a um a restaurant because when I was in state I worked at the governor's mansion. I actually set the tables and everything for the banquets when I was, was on okay. work release. And so and I got the serve safe and all that. And so when I proposed it, that's what they said. They, yeah, tell them you 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 worked and you know how to set tables and stuff, but just not in prison. So I'm like, all right. So I put that on there, and then someone found out that I worked for the governor's mansion, but I was incarcerated. That was the reason why I didn't get the job because I yep. didn't tell them. They said, and they said it wasn't a problem. They didn't have no problem with it, except for the fact that I didn't didn't inform them.
1: Yep. No. And and, and yeah, that that's the thing. So um, yeah, it's crazy that yeah. I mean, even as much as I, I I've told people like, yeah, just be honest. Here I was. After all this success, I'm not even being honest. You know, I'm trying to sugarcoat it or dance <laughs> around it, and, yeah, and it wasn't until I, mean, I went, yeah. I went back to my own word that it started working out. You know, and so you, you have
0: to, you have to because, because after that, I'm gonna tell you what happened. After that, a person called because you know when you get out, you get these job offers. People love you. Kill the interviews. They want you. Mm-hmm. You, you do all the paperwork. They basically hire you, and then. After the hiring process, they do the background check, background comes mm-hmm. and they say, oh, we got to let you go. Like, that happened to me on so many times. And then it just, after that one point with the the governor's mansion, and then not telling them that that's what I worked there when I was incarcerated, the next the next interview, even the phone call I got, I, it was a marketing uh, company. And I told them then, I was like, look, I'm going to let you know up front. This is what happened. This is why I'm telling you this, because every time I kill interviews, then when it comes to the hiring process, I get hired, then I don't pass the background. This is what's in my background, and this is why I'm telling you. And they told me, thank you for letting us know up front and we don't care about that. We'd like to have you on our team.
1: Best feeling, huh? Man, that,
0: <laughs> I mean, that was like the that was like the weight of the world on my shoulder because I had just moved um from where I was originally from. Cause you I I needed that was one thing I knew I needed to do. I needed to get away from the hometown. So I moved yeah, to a whole yeah, new area yeah. where I didn't know nobody, maybe one or two people that was it. So I was going through this. So with them giving me that opportunity, like you said, we just needed somebody to take give us that opportunity, take that chance. And so when they did, that just lifted a lot of weight off my shoulders and then start opening up doors as well.
1: Definitely. No, and 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 that's that's what I always tell people because they're like, What what can we do to, to help and everything? And I'm like, you know the one word I come up with all the time is support. And whether that's putting someone in touch with someone who's hiring, explaining to someone who can hire, like, hey, just cause someone has a felony, something in their record, doesn't mean that they should be discluded from whatever, right? Like being that advocate, or if you're the person that can hire, hire someone, you know, give someone the opportunity. And, and I think it's almost comical from my perspective, that most of the time someone who's long-term incarcerated, they think that's the bad one. And I'm like, it's not. The person who did a year is the one you need to worry about because you don't know if they're right yet. <laughs> that might yeah, not no. have been but, enough for them. Yeah, the one I, who did 20 I, years, he's cool. He, yeah. he ain't trying to go back.
0: <laughs> I, and that's crazy you said that because when, a lot of times when I'm when I'm talking and, and meeting with people, when people hear a reentry and, and you're getting out of prison, their first instinct is someone that does did a long time, and I, I let people know like the crazy. I represent the other side. Like I didn't go to prison just one time, just two times. I've been to prison four times. First time I went, I almost did six years. I like got out, violated, went and did a year, year and a half, got out, violated again, went and did another year, year and a half, got out, and then the federal government I caught a conspiracy case with me. I was in a gang, so thirty one of uh, thirty one of us got picked up in the wow. federal in the federal case and so then that's when they handed me that paper united states versus cardell sims that's when i was devil's was my, when my <laughs> mindset was like no nah, nah, oh, man well you got to figure this out like that was the thing like i asked myself like man why do i keep finding myself in these situations and then i just got honest with myself like i was the reason like you the reason why you keep finding you put yourself and from that point on I just started adapting a whole new mindset. Like like you said, doing a lot of different reading and affirmations. We had, a, in prison, we had a program called uh, IHP, Individual Human Performance. And nice. it was taught by um, the, the inmates. It was taught by the inmates. You know, we're in the feds, so you got people from everywhere. Right. And um, it was all about tapping into your individual human performance, what causes that, what, what you was born with and what you acquire on the way. And one of the biggest things was your attitude. And in that class, mm. we started off each class, we'll walk in and the, the teacher, the instructor hand us the affirmation. And that's how we started. That's how I got into affirmations. Nice. That's how we started it. Cause, and then I had the first one I got was I am great. And I used the affirmation for like two months straight. Every, as soon as I woke up in the morning before my foot hit the floor, I, I did two things. I said, thank you. And I said, I am great. And and nice. and, def- and I just started training my mind, so that's why I'm really big. I end up writing the affirmation, the affirmations that I used in prison. I end up writing a book about it, uh, you with them affirmations. So I'm I'm definitely a big affirmations uh person. So we down to I'm down to my last two questions. I ask these two questions yes, to all my guests. The first question is: Someone's going to be getting out of prison tomorrow, and they stumbled across this this podcast of you, your episode what would be one word, or not one word, but uh, one set of advice that you would have for them?
1: Yeah, one well, one set of advice, I would tell them, I would tell them this, um, you, you got a book of life, right? And your book of life can either be written by you or someone else. So the day you stop waiting for someone else to write it and that means stop using excuses like oh i got a felony oh i got this i can't do that or they told me i couldn't do it you're letting someone else write your book why would you ever do that write your own book when a door sets in your face go knock on another one and just keep doing it and you will be amazed at what the hero of your book can do when you're putting the pen to paper and not letting someone else do it so that would be the advice i'd give them stop stop coming up with excuses and start coming up with solutions okay and then the, the, the famous
0: question. Uh, if you had one word to describe your journey, what would
1: that one word be and why? You know, and I, I've been watching all your stuff and I, w- I was going back and forth um, and one other person said the word uh, transformative, I think, which I love, but I would have to say for me, humbling. And the reason being is i kind of always had this this persona and i just talked about it even i, I gotta get back to it now right <laughs> of you know like like i i could be bulletproof i could i could go through whatever and just just keep pushing like things will just work out and it wasn't until that seventh year in prison that i started humbling myself and saying no i have to work at things and i'll never repay the debts i owe like um And and I I jokingly tell people, like, I don't care if you went to prison for stealing a dollar or killing 26 people, you can never repay that debt. Even that dollar might have got, you know, Cardell to to the bus stop to that job that would have been his perfect job where he would have lived his best life. But you Mm. took that away. You can never repay back even if you give him ten thousand dollars because you took away that opportunity that day with that dollar. Right. And if you kill 26 people, you can't bring them back and you can't change the ripples that it makes. Right. So it's about being humble and, and focusing on what am I pushing out? And I've heard you talk about that too, like pushing out that positive energy, positive thoughts, and, and they'll start coming back. And um, not to jump into a whole other story, but I opened a transitional house back in 2016, and it's still open out here in Bay Point, California, granny's house. That was a lot of blood, sweat and tears until and my wife's dismay, a lot of money. But it was so important to me because, you know, I was going in talking at GeoCare and all these other places that make a ton of money off housing, you know, guys getting out the need to go through a program, right? And I talked to these guys and guys that I was locked up with, and they're like, man, it sucks. They don't let us go to work. They don't let us get it. They take part of my check. And I was like, damn, if only there was a better place. And then I said, well, damn, Tito, how much are you going to talk about it or are you going to do something about it? Right. I knock on wood, it's still open. Six people ain't homeless or in jail or anything else. Thanks to granny's house. That was me trying to do my part. So humble yourself, but then turn that hum, that humbleness into how, how can I give back? Cause we will never repay our debts period. And I'm not saying you got to be a philanthropist and go out there and donate all your money or anything, but, but you might be able to go pass out food on the weekend or clean up a roadway and not ask for nothing in return because you wish someone had done it for you, you know? So I'll get off my soapbox. But. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so
0: there we have it. Uh, uh, another great, successful episode of The Reentry Journey. Uh, we'd like to thank you, Tito, for coming on, sharing your story, sharing your information. And I know that this will impact someone who will watch this just getting out. Um, anything that you know we can do, we can connect, work on, uh, I can help you with or, or whatever, feel free to reach out. Also, if you want to, you can join our uh, re-entry support group that's uh, on Facebook. It's called Reentry support group. Everybody always is exchanging information. I I built a support group just so we can have each other. um, We ever in the area or we got something going on. A prime example is like someone in the group from North Carolina hit me up. They want to do some re-entry stuff down there. I'm not in North Carolina, but I had guests that's been on the podcast that's from North Carolina so I point them in the direction of the person that's been on the podcast. It would end up being a, a paying contract thing. And, you know, so that's nice. what that's what it's all about, us connecting, uh, keep uplifting and pushing each other and continue on this journey because we know this journey don't stop. We, this reentry journey is going to keep going and keep going. Definitely. Uh, so, so once again, thanks for coming on. Um, feel free to reach out anytime. I, I'm always open.
1: Definitely, definitely. Once again, thank you for all you do. And everyone out there listening, please support this brother. He's doing something that needs to be done. We need all the support, and we are our own best community. So, yes, I will definitely join up on the Facebook group, too.
0: All right. And this is another episode of the Reentry Journey. I am your host, Cardell Sims. And you know what I like to say don't let the limitations of your background reduce the height of your potential. Outgrow what you were born into. Another episode of Reentry Journey. You all have a great night, and I see you next time.
1: Good stuff, man. Good stuff.